Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast, where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income, and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach, and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty. As always, welcome, Steve. Morning. Today, an episode for you on the great debate. Is property a good investment? Now, Steve. Drum roll. Um, we, only, <laughs> we have our own no, next. Uh, personal experiences and biases. <laughs> I deliberately haven't scripted today's episode. I, I essentially just wanted to recreate one of our normal discussions from the Lazy Dog Cafe in Newstead. Ah, the good old days. Yes, rather than uh, going into too heavily a scripted episode. I myself have been a property investor over a long period of time. And so the shtick goes for property. There are more uh, millionaires through real estate. It tends to be a stable investment over the long run. There are good tax breaks. You can use leverage and so on. So we all know the shtick. So tell us a bit first about um, some of your adventures in property and how you came to move away from real estate as an investment. Maria, I, um, I first, I didn't start buying property till I was quite old or late, you know, 34, I think, or something. And then quickly sort of rushed into investment property. Well, in, in actual fact, what I did was I first bought a property to live in and then I also borrowed some money against the, the property, you know, with the loan and started investing in stocks. That was around 2000, I think. And um, then I got married and it was mainly my wife at the time that was much more into property, but she was also more into property because it was about interior design. She liked, you know, interior design and that sort of stuff. And we were also quite fortunate that at the time, Brisbane was undergoing a bit of a boom where we were in that, you know, that inner 5k radius. And so we got into property that way. I don't hold an interest for property. I don't mind it as an investment. If someone offers me a cheap property, I'll take it. But I don't, I'm, I don't have a natural affinity to, wow, you know, I want to buy a property, whereas I do with stocks. Yeah, so if you can buy a dollar for 60 cents, then obviously you would be interested. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, you touched on an important point there because real estate is not a traditional asset class in the sense that it's 100% comprised of investors. In fact, the bulk of the market is actually homeowners yeah. and not always buying purely for financial reasons. Yeah. So it is a bit different from, say, a bond market or a stock market, which is fully comprised of investors. Yeah, yeah. You really buy, uh, I mean, you know, everyone up until 80s, maybe, in the old economy, you know, like our, our parents, our parents didn't really think about buying investment properties. No, you well, had to buy a rates, home. Interest rates were so high. Yeah, I, I yeah. remember sitting around the, um, the, the dinner table. So in Britain, we had this issue with the... Uh, uh, George Soros breaking the Bank of England yeah, yeah. and interest rates went from 10% to 12% in one day. Yep. And by the end of the day, the, the, the Tories were saying, well, 
rates are heading to 15%. And I can remember my parents uh, saying to us, uh, guys, you know, we're going to really have to tighten our belts. You yeah. know, I'm, as a youngster, I had no idea what they were talking about, but I could sense it wasn't very... Uh, <laughs> it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't a happy meal time, put it that way. Um, yeah, well, but, so the, the idea that you would take on more debt um, you know, was ludicrous. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Paying sixteen or seven, seventeen percent mortgage rate. The idea was pay down the debt yeah, as yeah. quickly as possible. And that was, I think, the other thing is too. You think before, probably the late seventies, with you know Thatcher in Britain, Reagan in America, and probably more Hawke and Keating in Australia, which is you know early eighties, late seventies. Once you got mobility of the labour market, where people started moving and. You know, there was less regulation, there was more opportunity, and that's when other things were like defined benefit superannuation was now accumulation. So you had to actually manage your own money, whereas before that, and still, as far as I understand, predominantly in Europe, you get a a defined benefit pension. So why invest in property? Why invest in stocks? I'm going to retire, I'm going to get my DB, defined benefit, and then I'll live happily ever after. So back in those days... Property wasn't thought of as an investment. It was actually a place because you worked at the factory, so you bought near the factory and died near the factory, whereas these days lots of people work all over the place. And so there's not really, you know, the idea of a principal place of residence is really for tax purposes, not like, oh, yeah, we're going to be here until we're 70 and, you know, retire. Yeah, so it's definitely become more financialised. In fact, you you um, described my parents' journey perfectly there because they were both public sector workers, they were both trade unionists, um, and the really property wasn't, as you said, it wasn't an investment asset class. It was basically you bought somewhere to live, you tried to extinguish that debt as quickly as you could uh, because of the high interest rates. Uh, the idea of being a... I mean, landlords were really thought of as spivs, certainly uh, yeah, in, yeah. in South Yorkshire, where I grew up. Um, it certainly wasn't a thing for most working people. And it was all about the defined benefit pension yep. scheme. And I guess, you know, people like my dad worked till 65. But then, you know, if you live till you're 105, the pension will just keep on going. Yeah. Uh, but the deregulation was a big part of the property boom, essentially. Uh, and obviously, lower interest rates have uh, factored into that. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, like a lot of people, I've got a bit of a bias in property, plus partly just from personal experience. So, you know, the first property or the earliest property we've got in our portfolio built back in the 90s uh, was bought for about, I don't know, £68,000 or something. Right. And obviously, it's been a very good investment over that time frame. But also, I suppose the hidden benefit of using that leverage has been because we've been able to redraw equity from that property to subsequently invest in in Sydney and London and so on. So I guess from a compounding point of view, it's worked very powerfully for us. You know, what's right for one person may not be right for another. Yeah. I suppose the, the, the one thing about real estate is that the income, uh, even that property that we've had since the 1990s, the income eventually starts to... Uh, Get to, there. Yeah, but it's a very long slog. And even yeah. then you've got repairs... It's not tax effective. You've got property management fees. It's very much a, an asset class for growing equity, but from an income perspective, I mean, these days, if you're buying on a three or four percent yield, there's not much. There's, there's not, not much, much in there after the cost. Yeah. No, that's right. The um, the thing. I mean, I I as I sort of say to people, I'm generally investment agnostic in terms of when you think about it. It's it's really, and this is you know, you you get this oh, property versus stocks, and which one's better. 
there's, you know, stocks have got better liquidity, property's got some advantages, but the reality is there's still, the, you know, any investment, as we teach in our program, you've got to think about the risk, you've got to think about the timing, and you've got to think about the market cycle. So, look, if you buy a property really cheap, like you buy a stock really cheap, you may not have to sell it for a long time because you're going to generate a good return. So the problem, I think, in both stocks and property is that if you get the timing wrong, it can be costly. If you get the timing wrong in property, because it's a leveraged investment, you get it really wrong. Whereas, you know, like if you if you don't borrow to buy stocks, then you can plonk in, you know, your superannuation. The problem I have with property is it's a very big leveraged bet. And if you go and borrow 700000 to buy a property and it's at the wrong time or there's, you know, it's not as good as you thought and stuff like that, that's where I think you can come unstuck because it can be a, a, a painful experience losing, a, you know, like you, you sort of look at it and go, oh, I'm going to make 200. And then if you don't, you look at it and go, actually, now I'm, I'm down 100 and that's a lot of money. So it can really knock you about. I guess what you've described there, property's greatest strength, i.e. that you can use leverage. Yeah. Because it's a liquid, people are generally uh, more drawn towards a long-term horizon. Yep. And um, it's very concentrated. I mean, those the greatest strengths can also be the greatest, the greatest weaknesses, weaknesses yeah. if you get it wrong. Uh, yep. I think... Um, now, th- this is probably more of an emotional or psychological standpoint than anything else, but I have one of the things I have noticed is that people are much more inclined uh, with a property investment to try and look through, because you don't get a daily quoted price, people feel much more comfortable with a $500,000 or an $800,000 investment because they're thinking, well, I'm holding this for 10 or 20 years. The volatility is lower. Yeah, and I guess with stocks, I mean, this is a skill that you can learn, but a lot of people have found it difficult through periods of volatility when you, you can literally log on at nine in the morning, oh, hang on a second, like, <laughs> the market's down 5%. Where that 50 grand go? <laughs> yeah, that's right, which um, I guess that's where you need to look at it, your portfolio in context, and you need to think in percentages, but yeah, it can be harder to do sometimes in stocks. Yeah, yeah, I think you've got a couple of, a couple of arguments, you know, in sort of favour of property. One is diversification. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket for most people. Um, unless you really know what you're doing or you really hate stocks or you really hate property. The other one, I think, though, in terms of any investment class, any investment uh, asset class, is um, Hyman Minsky came out years ago with the, the three levels of finance, you know, and he sort of said the first one was hedge financing where you could borrow and you could pay back the interest and the capital from the income of the asset that you bought. Then you got speculative, which basically said, no, you can't pay all of it back. You can pay some of it back. Then you got Ponzi, which was the the final stage where you were, in, in a sense, like negatively geared, where you were saying, I'm speculating on the capital growth. I'm not getting or I'm not deriving income that I'm adding to my my wages or my salary. What I'm doing is speculating that, I'm going to sell that property at some time in the future and make a big capital gain. That, to me, is the really risky part. Now, if you can get a hedge finance property where you can get a positive income like you can do in some properties from the rent, okay, I don't have a problem with that. 
But I really am concerned for a lot of investors who are gambling in a way on that capital gain. And Benjamin Graham said, there's investing and there's speculating. I put that in the speculating basket, but it can be intelligent speculation. And what I mean by that is, if you've got plenty of money and it's not going to knock you off in terms of give you a setback financially, if it stays low or something for a long time, that's fine. But there's a lot of people, I think, sometimes leverage up, whether it's stocks or property, and then find themselves in trouble because they haven't understood the the return dynamics or, you know, as you and I talk about the earnings yield and the dividend yield, you know, you've got to bring that all together and look at it on that basis. Look at the risk, look at the liquidity, you know, is your employment safe? You know, have you got a backup plan? You know, those sorts of things. Yeah, and I think, well, obviously, having an overall strategy or plan is key. I mean, my my experience of property, uh, and it's different for everybody, is that it can be a pretty powerful thing to use when you've got a long runway. Yeah. It's a good way to build equity. But at some point, you want to start generating income, and real estate is not very effective at that. Even commercial property comes with its own risks. And You've got to start early, though, Pete, haven't you? I mean, if, if you, how it doesn't do you... work with 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 the transaction costs as they are today. It doesn't work very well as a short term investment because the the, the costs to get in and out are yeah. so high. So, but uh, I mean, you've got to start if you like, you know, if you invest in property, say at fifty, then and if you've got what a twenty year loan, a twenty five year loan. Uh, well, yeah, a lot of people take interest only, yeah. <laughs> which I, I guess as you would. Touching on there in terms of Minsky, it is often Ponzi finance. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, like you say about income, and this is where oh, look, the income. If you if you invest age fifty in resi property, the income ain't never going to get. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. It's a bit like, hang on, you'll be eighty before you've paid off the loan, and they say here's your five hundred bucks a week rent. Yeah, and the way it normally works is that the higher yielding real estate assets normally come with a risk or a problem of some sort. Yeah, you you can get fifteen percent yield on uh, UK sort of multi-let properties. So there's a certain um, asset class in Britain where you can rent properties out by the room. And right, okay. the thing is, you can get 15%, but then you've got the turnover, you've got the cost, the damage. Yep. It's Usually probably, it's the poorer people. That rent, it's, isn't mo- it? it's more like 8% net. And right. then you've got all of the headaches that come with it. Yep. It's a bit the same in commercial sometimes. You can get higher yields on commercial property, but you've got to understand the risk. And the risk is often well vacancies between tenants. You might have um, you know you might have uh, fit out issues, and yep. you've got to understand the terms of the lease. And so most residential property people feel that they can understand, but usually a higher yield in residential property will come in a uh, say for example a mining town, a lower socioeconomic or, area. Yes, that's yeah. right. So uh, the further away you get from a city, typically the higher the yield because the capital growth has been poor. Um, so a higher yield, you know, can be a trap, just like it can in stocks, because yep. it can represent a risk. Um, so what about investing in real estate trust, just as a an adjunct to that? Um, yeah, there's a lot of um, uh, investors in stocks aren't that keen on real estate trust because they're a little bit different from other stocks. I have invested in REITs before, and again, they're you know they're okay if you get them at the right price and you understand the underlying assets and the the. Um, returns and that sort of stuff. And I think it's really it's interesting what you say about property because I was just thinking, you know, before we started, why do people sort of naturally, gen- you know, most people generally move to, if they think about investing, they think about property. They don't think about stocks. 
and I'm just interested to know why people do that, whether it's just a, you know, like, oh, well, it's easier or because I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I generally thought, oh, well, you have to know less to invest in property. Yes and no, because it's not. And then I thought, well, no, that's actually not really right. Because if you if you want to be successful, you better, you better find out what you, you know, like you talk about areas and, you know, when you're buying property for people, you talk about, oh, well, this area is good and it's got this and it's got that. Whereas I'm not that interested in property and I'm always going, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good thing to think about. Whereas yeah. someone like me goes, nah, sorry, don't know anything about it. I think, uh, well, there's, there's a lot of risks that need to be managed, uh, interest rate risk being one of them that we already touched on. But if you're going to use leverage, you, you need to really invest in a scarce commodity, you know, which is typically assets with a high land to asset ratio, typically. Because it's, so it's the it's, land value as opposed to... Yeah, that's yeah. right. So you already mentioned before, <coughs> the inner 5K of Brisbane doing pretty well, but yeah. I could find you any number of investments in uh, Greater Brisbane which have done nothing, you know, yeah, in real yeah. terms or probably even in nominal terms, because there's no scarcity in the asset. So, you know, uh, typically if you buy a brand new high-rise apartment, well, it's you and 400 others in the block. There's no scarcity. Yeah. The land value might be 3% of the asset and the rest is just... Airspace, but so. council love those, don't they? Because it's density and um, also lots of rates off a small, a relatively small block. Yeah, but if you were looking at the the returns on real estate over the life of the investment, it's really the land that does the heavy lifting for you most of the time because uh, buildings don't really appreciate in real terms. Yeah. You know, the cost of a cost well, they get cheaper building, to build and yeah, more, that's right. More and, productive. Um, you know, the, in, in nominal terms, the cost of a building may be higher in 20 years, but really, is that going to perform? No, it's the, it's the land and getting a scarce block of land that generally uh, performs pretty well. But Wouldn't it also be, just while we're doing this, you know, with the, um, the coronavirus, I would have thought now that city blocks would, yeah. be, would be starting to be sort of like, come and buy a city block because it'll be cheap compared to buying a block that is like, you know, a, a hinterland or a, I think the country will become, the countryside will become popular again. Uh, yeah, so th this is a big debate at the moment because of what's been happening with the virus. So I think, you know, the big uh, sort of mega trend, you know, since humans domesticated wheat 12,000 years ago, the trend has been towards larger and larger civilizations. Yeah, yeah. There've always been tree changes and sea changes. And yep. Um, you know, people like myself, I seem to move, move further north every year. But uh, most migrants to Australia go to Sydney or Melbourne because, A, a that's what they know, and B, it's where the opportunities are for employment yeah, yeah. and so on. Um, so I, I suspect things will probably be more similar than different after oh, COVID. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, there will always be um, the, the wealthier people will be looking at space, I expect. Yeah, whether or not we see you know lasting changes in terms of remote working, working from home, more Zoom calls, I think some of that will stick. Yep. Um, but, but and that would be reduced prices. Do you think that would actually take real estate prices down? I don't know. I mean, one of the things that, that acts like gravity on real estate prices is simply the cost of borrowing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the Reserve Bank is essentially targeting that three-year 
bond yield at 0.25% because a lot of people, if they take a fixed rate mortgage, they fix it three years. Yep. And people are borrowing now at 2.09. That's <laughs> wild, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> when you consider that even in 2006, you know, a variable rate mortgage might be closer to double digits. I mean, mm. things have moved a heck of a long way. In so, 1991, they were 18% under Paul Keating. Yeah, well, that's what, it was exactly the same as I mentioned in Britain. I, yeah. I didn't really understand it at the time being a no. teenager. So, one of the, so what we get quite often in our coaching programs, we get a lot of people who've a typical situation might be a young couple, they've, they've maybe bought a unit, they, they get a place together, they might have an investment property. You quite often find that almost by default, people end up with a little property portfolio. But later in life, if they're looking to transition towards more liquid investments, uh, they give them financial independence. I mean, this is where our three wells model yeah, yeah. fits in. So yep. Uh, as we've mentioned before, property can be a really good wealth three investment, if you like. It, it is a long-term investment, but it's not really going to help you from a liquidity point of view or from an income perspective. Yep. And that's where those well one and two, two buckets come in, yeah. really come in. The best part about well three property is for the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's <laughs> the parents pay it off, and the kids get the benefit. The yeah. kids get the benefit. <laughs> I mean, that's the way I've tried to look at it. Because, I mean, people have been making doomsday scenarios around property since... Uh, I mean, Adam was in, a boy. Yeah, well, certainly in uh, Britain, there's some of the academic uh, economists were saying uh, around 99, 2000, that prices in London would have to revert to three times incomes. And they're right. more like, goodness knows where they are today, but it's a lot higher than three. So I've tended to take the view that they're legacy assets. Yeah. And I'm, look, I might choose to sell down some of the non-core properties later on, but that's the way I've tried to view them is you know, they'll be for the kids. And then I'll try and fill up buckets one and two because yep. that can pay for things like my travel yeah. uh, desires and living costs and so on. Property doesn't put food on the table in that regard. Yeah. It's the fundamental human need, isn't it? You know, like you, you have to live somewhere, whether you rent or whether you buy a property, but the, you know, you don't have to buy stocks um, because you don't depend on them, but you need somewhere to live, whether you rent or buy. So it's pretty well like you say, a legacy, a legacy asset where, and that's why I, I think I might've said before, you know, generally you look at it, each generation gets richer. Um, not in my case. <laughs> I don't think it's your case. Either. Both of our parents were duds. Um, but on the, on the basis of, you know, the parents basically pay the house off and then you either live in the house or, you know, you and your siblings sell the property and you get a, you know, $200,000 windfall, which usually comes in handy. Yeah, or well, more commonly, they separate and the five kids get to divide up a couple of hundred grand between them. Yeah, yeah. And in, in Britain, the inheritance tax takes care of the rest. So, right. uh, so I think, um, so one of the reasons we focus on in our 12-month programs, in the first month, we do a bit of strategy on on property because, as you mentioned, everybody needs a property strategy, yeah, yeah. whether that's as a homeowner uh, transition to retirement, whether it's as a renter who's going to invest their money elsewhere. So mm. that's the that's the concept of rent to own, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is becoming more popular because, as you said, um, these days, I mean, I've lost count of the number of times we've moved in Australia from Sydney to Darwin, and we were in Southeast Asia, and then we were in Brisbane, and then in Noosa. I mean, it would be highly impractical to own a place of residence in every, in every place. spot, yeah. Um, so... Uh, renting can be a valid part of your financial independence strategy, as as you've used yourself, indeed, in recent years, because yep. you can you can command a better return elsewhere. Yeah, I reckon it's a great idea. So, uh, and fewer headaches in many respects. Um, 
So that's why in the first month of our 12-month programs, we, we build that property strategy, whether that's rationalizing the portfolio or adding to it or whatever it may be, and then working out, okay, you've got the property strategy down pat, but how are you going to work out the buckets one and two? Two, yeah. Because I think uh, a lot of people are often missing that middle bucket because yep. they've kind of intuitively built up a buffer. They've got a few long-term investments, but it's like, well, now what? And yeah. I think that's a very common scenario for people coming on board and doing our programs. Yeah, I think the, the I'd so sort of say to people, the, the thing about the well two strategy is it's sort of like a second income that you don't need to work too hard to do. And what I mean by that is, you know, like, I don't know about you, but when we were younger, we would take, or a lot of people do, take a second job, you know, to earn extra money and do stuff. Um, we were poor. We had to collect bottles. <laughs> but what you do, what you can do with Well2 is generate an income and that, you know, it's like, as I say, working a second job. These days, it's a lot easier to do that because it's easier to do it because you've got the internet. So you can buy and sell stocks really easily. Um, there's heaps of knowledge out there. There's heaps of programs out there like ours, you know, that you can actually use your, and these days with, you know, knowledge and all that sort of stuff, the idea is use your brain more rather than use your physical labor more, you know, like the old days, as I said, you go and work another job somewhere else, you know, delivering newspapers or something like that. Whereas now you can just sit and think and use the knowledge and the internet and you can, you know, you can quite, man you can manage your money quite well. And what you can do is say, well, I've got my primary job, and then I use well too as a sort of second job where I build income that I keep compounding over the longer term. Yeah, and that's what we always say to people. That's what can give you the financial independence because it's a very easy trap to fall into as your income goes up while well, you're paying more tax, but obviously your lifestyle expectations creep yep. higher yep. and it become it can become a pretty in, uh, insidious or invidious trap because... Um, a bit of a vicious circle. Yeah, that's right. And it's <coughs> difficult because the, the income, for some reason, just never seems to get you there. So, yeah, second jobs back in my day was bar work, but that never really worked because you, you gave the money back at the end of the shift. Yeah, jumped, <laughs> jumped over the other side. Yeah, that's right. Uh, whereas today, I mean, as you said, I mean, there, there are many ways to make an income. Online businesses, yep. you know, there are online uh, tasks um, that you can do and things like that. But um, investing in stocks is, is an obvious one as well. So uh, that's it for today. We'll wrap it up there. You and Stephen will be much more animated next week when Absolutely. we get back onto uh, stocks. Uh, you can tell by your body language, not yeah. in by the prospect of property. Let's get to the real stuff. But uh, it's a really uh, important point that for a lot of people, property can be an emotional investment as much as a financial one. Uh, but what we try to do in our programs is bring it together into a coherent strategy for people so you're not just thinking emotionally. Right, cheers for joining today. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. 
And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.